Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat, we're going to talk about something that's quite close to my heart, and you won't be surprised, listeners, uh, and that's, that's media coverage of the world of work. And we're going to look at the need to reboot and redefine leadership for a post-pandemic world. My awesome, illustrious guest this time is Alan Hosking, publisher over at HR Future Magazine and CEO at Osgod. Alan has previously been named by US website DisruptorDaily.com as one of the top 25 future of work influencers to follow on Twitter. And he's been listed as one of the top 200 global power thought leaders to watch in 2021. My goodness me, I get some great guests on here. Uh, Alan, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much, Bill. Lovely to be with you. I'm looking forward to our chat. Oh, and listeners, I forgot to mention, Alan's got a lovely South African accent, so you can just sit back and enjoy. Um, Alan, why, why don't you start by telling our listeners a bit about yourself, your career background, and, and what you get up to? I started out in education um, as an English teacher, in fact, and um, was growing my pupils, but got to the point where I feel, felt I needed to, to grow myself, so I moved into training because that's what teachers can do. Uh, became a training manager at one of the major banks in South Africa. Did that for a couple of years. Wrote a book for first time. Dad's called What Nobody Tells a New Father. And uh, as a result of that, uh, the powers that be at standard at the bank that I was at um, said, uh, you know, won't you help us with this? Won't you help us with that? We didn't know you could write. So I then moved into a, a strategic communications role and uh, essentially became a, a publisher. And it was a natural move to move out of the corporate world into publishing, um, particularly HR publishing, which is what I did. And so in 2001, I launched HR Future. Um, at that time, no one was really focusing on the future as such. Um, I, I, I like to think of myself as being a little bit more proactive in that regard. And today, everybody's an expert on the future. But um, we, we started out then, have had a wonderful journey. Uh, met all sorts of, like you, met all sorts of wonderful, interesting people. Our uh, contributors are from all around the world. So I'm talking to people from India, Australia, uh, Canada. Uh, we've got one of our regular contributors based in Canada, the US and the UK as well. And uh, it also gives me a platform to, to continue with my passion for teaching. So I do a lot of leadership development um, with companies um, take them on, on a six-month journey as such because once-off uh, leadership programs, they're, they're good, but they're not going to, to, to make as a, a big an impact. It then obviously gives me an opportunity to um, build a relationship with those people, personalize the, the development, and I love that to bits. Okay, thank you very much. Alan, um, for, for, as, as, a, as a fellow uh, dude within the, the media side of um covering the world of work well, I, I i'm i'm very keen to hear hear your perspective what, what do you love the most about your job i love the personal interaction the, the, interacting with people because just when you think you've seen everything about people someone comes along and surprises you with something you've never seen before and that what is what keeps me going um, when COVID arrived and we all had to go into lockdown and we had to move to virtual, 
I battled with that at first in, in terms of just internally. thought, you know, is that the right thing? Because I love to be in the room, so to speak, with people, um, to be able to read the room and engage with people on a personal level. Um, so that's why I thought, man, this virtual thing, I don't know, but I've overcome that and become exceptionally comfortable in the virtual environment to the point that a lot of the, the work that I'm doing now is, is in a virtual environment. But it's that interacting with people. That's what, what gets me going. Obviously, the, the umbrella theme to everything since uh, near the start of 2020 has, has, been, has been the pandemic, um, living through it. Um, and, and now in many places, they can talk about uh, starting to come through it. And I know things are still very difficult in South Africa, of course. Um, outside of COVID, though, Alan, um, what, what have you seen being being the, the, the hottest, the sexiest, the most important topics over the past sort of 12, 18 months or so? Well, I have to admit that COVID has affected a lot of that. And I'm seeing it as a bit of a tipping point because prior to that, it was a case of um, people coming into the workplace and, well, you know, leave your personal issues at home. You're at work now and you focus on work. With COVID having changed all of that with people working from home, the workplace has moved into the home. And so I'm seeing that the workplace is becoming a lot more personalized. And as a result of that, things like empathy is becoming a big thing. When I started talking about empathy, probably about five or six years ago, it gave it gave executives the screaming heebies because they, that wasn't the way they were wanting to think. But now it's become a big issue. And um, I think that it's it's just one of those things that we've got to adapt to. So going forward, I'm seeing a much more demilitarized leadership because the leadership model that we've been running on uh, prior to, to COVID has been um, very much a militarized model because of uh, the, the, the leadership models that were developed just after the Second World War. And they've been running, and you think about the, the terminology that we've got in the workplace. The word company, for example, is an old French word that means a group of soldiers. And uh, things like uh, leave and recruitment and so on and so forth, they're all military terms. Officer, where we've got chief executive officer or chief operations officer, even the word operations. So a lot of military um, um, terminology in the workplace. And I'm seeing that going forward, that's going to become a lot more demilitarized and personalized. Alan, I'd say that's pretty much bang on. Um, I'm hearing very similar things. Um, and it's, I, I think a lot of the changes that we've seen um, have, have been for the better. And, and I think if if people are able to be more authentic with each other, um, then ultimately it's, it's going to lead to higher productivity anyway. Um, so why, why can't we all just be nice to each other, share a little bit more about ourselves, uh, be a bit more flexible about how and where we work, um, be more authentic. Uh, anyway, this is not an interview with me, Alan. It's an interview with you. So let's let's continue through. Um, you're you're an impressive guy, and you've done some really cool things. Okay, and one one example of that is back in two thousand and five, you you were asked by the Nelson Mandela Foundation to undertake the redesign of of the, the late former President Mandela's personal website, uh, NelsonMandela.org, a, a project which lasted eighteen months. I understand. What, what did that mean to you, Alan? And and did you get to meet the big man? Did you get to meet President Mandela? 
it, it was indeed a wonderful opportunity, uh, Bill, uh, to work with the foundation, the, the Nelson Mandela Foundation. And uh, we worked very closely with his team. And, and they kept saying to me, to answer your question about did I meet him, the, the short answer is no, and it's all my fault. Because they kept saying to me, we, we want to organize a meeting for you. We want to organize a meeting. And I said, talking about the authenticity thing, I said, I really don't want too much respect for him to have him trotted out as a show pony to come and meet me. And I said, let's do the project. And if and when there's an appropriate time for, for us to meet, let I'll be happy to do that. And we went through the, the, the project. And sadly, he was out of the country at the time that we finished up. And we just never got to meet. But we we work very closely with his, his team so close and yet so far eh? uh, <laughs> um, well it sounds like it was it was, a, it was an awesome project um, and you, you're also an, an age management coach i understand for, for senior executives in their late 40s and and older um helping them to to manage their age as, as an asset rather than allow it to become a, a liability to, to use your term um tell me a bit about that role and, and, and why it matters well for, for some other reason, I have had a passion for health issues. I have no medical training and I don't pretend to have any. And um, when I started out with our magazine, I also was handling contract publishing on behalf of a couple of other companies. One of them was a healthcare company. And uh, that's where I, I developed this interest in um, uh, age management because I, I met up with a group of people who were involved in what we talk about anti-aging. And their approach was not to try and make older people look and act like 24-year-olds, but just to become, in a sense, ageless so that you, 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 you don't age and allow your, your age to, to become a, a liability, so to speak. And so I started developing a, a, a dimension, a, a model with seven dimensions, where we look at their physical aging, their mental aging, their emotional aging, their spiritual aging in terms of their purpose in life, and um, a couple of the other the, the dimensions. But for example, you know, if you look at emotional aging, we allow our, our emotions to age, but they don't have to, and we can we can rediscover those emotional, uh, those youthful emotions like hope and excitement and things like that, because we kind of allow life to happen to us and we become a bit battered. And so, you know, we become cynical and um, not inclined to, to allow that excitement to come forward. So it's about taking a holistic approach and making someone just become comfortable in their own skin so that they're comfortable with younger people, they understand how they operate as well. One of the things that I do is encourage what I call co-mentorship. Uh, some people talk about as reverse mentoring, mentoring but I, I prefer the, the term co-mentoring, where you pair off a, a, a more mature person and a younger person. And the two teach one another things that neither the other one doesn't know. So the elder person who's been around the block a couple of times will, will share those insights that they've acquired through life. And the younger person will tell them all about things, that, you know, about technology, etc. And so the more mature person in turn then becomes more comfortable dealing with younger people because they then learn how younger people think. So it's all about just making you comfortable in your own skin so that you don't become irrelevant. That's the worst thing, to become irrelevant.
because when you feel um, I'm irrelevant, well, you're no longer needed on the planet, you get sick, and you basically just end up dying in, in a sense. Okay, so uh, listeners, Alan performs a life-saving duty, essentially. Um, <laughs> that's why it's important. Um, hey, as, as part of the build-up to, to this interview today, uh, I, I asked you, we were corresponding, I, I said, is there anything uh, that you particularly like to chat about and, and share with our audience? And you said, yes, Bill. Um, I, I want to make sure that we, we tackle rebooting and redefining leadership for a post-pandemic world. Well, Alan... Here's your chance. Um, you need. You, you believe that there, there, there is a need to, to do just that. Um, so, what, what do you what do you mean when you say rebooting and redefining leadership? It's been said that a tremendous amount of money has been spent on a leadership development. Um, I think figures like three hundred and sixty-six billion dollars. That's an eye-watering amount of money, and yet it's almost. People agree on the fact that leadership development has not been very successful. And if you cast your eye around the world, there are not too many leaders that inspire much confidence. So I kind of exercised my mind and said, what is it about leadership development that hasn't worked as someone who's in, in that line? And I started coming to a couple of conclusions. One of them was as we were talking earlier on about the military model, which is, is, is starting to fall into disrepute now, so to speak, simply because it's, it's getting to the end of its life cycle. That's one thing that's played a role. The other thing is that I feel that um, leadership development programs, while they've got tremendous amount of content in them, they haven't, they've, they've trained leaders to lead organizations. And now, particularly with what's happening with the pandemic, we have a need for leaders not to lead organizations, but to actually lead people. And that's why leaders need things like compassion. That's why they need empathy. That's why they also need to, to be good listeners rather than the orators that of, 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 of former generations. It's about listening to your people. It's about helping them to feel heard because every human being has a deep deep desire to feel heard and when they don't feel heard their level of frustration rises and they shout a little bit louder they become a little bit more aggressive and they don't feel heard again and it just gets worse and worse until it explodes becomes destructive rather than having leaders who listen to their people can hear what they're saying and can interpret and deal with it accordingly. So it's, a, it's about a different form of leadership. Leaders were previously appointed on the basis of their technical skills. So if someone was a qualified in a, with a, a financial qualification as an accountant, they were considered to be appropriate, understandably so, for uh, being um, uh, head of, of the, the finances, so a financial director. Uh, or, in fact, the, the chief executive officer of an organization, because he can understand balance sheets, he will be able to keep this business making a profit. But what they failed to understand, in a sense, was that those people, while highly qualified technically, did not necessarily want to actually lead people. And so that's, in a nutshell, where I'm going with, with the, the redefining leadership. We've got to start teaching our leaders to lead people. 
So it's not only about skills anymore, but it's also about qualities. And you can train people to acquire skills, but qualities, you have to help them develop those qualities. And that's a different approach that we've got to take. And that's, that's why you want to take them on the journey. And it's also about understanding how to change behavior as a result of learning. Because if leaders can't change behavior, if they have no influence, well, then they're pretty ineffective. And I, I take a particular approach where I help leaders to understand that information doesn't change behavior. It's insight that changes behavior. When people are helped to see something in a different way or in a new way or see something that they haven't seen before, you know what actually happens? And I'm speaking from experience where I've seen this happen over and over again. They make all the changes in themselves. And those changes are usually permanent. You don't have to put them on any refresher courses because once they see something in a certain way, they never unsee that, so to speak. And it's, it just changes the way they do things. So that's why I'm saying that we've got to start looking at a new approach to leadership, teaching leaders to lead people rather than simply organizations. Super. And just finally for today, Alan, how can how can our listeners connect with you and learn more about all the cool things you get up to? We have a website, HR, www.hrfuture.net, which uh, they can uh, they can visit or they can contact me personally at Alan, A-L-A-N, at hrfuture.net. That's my email address and everybody is welcome to contact me. I love to hear from people from all around the world. Everybody not being bots, by the way, just real people. Okay, right. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Alan, you've, you've been a delight. Um, I, I respect what you do. Please keep doing it. Let's keep in contact. But for now, thanks very much for joining me. And much appreciated for the invitation. Thanks so much, Bill. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.